0: This is the Colonel Rad Alert. Civil defense information will be broadcast at 6.40. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. y 2K? How can we prepare? Stop a few of their machines and radios. Throw them into darkness for a few hours. We are fighting for our lives. My family must survive. Over five years. Thousand gallons of gas. Air filtration. Water filtration. Water filtration. Coming at you from the frozen tundra that is east-central Alberta, Canada. Streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Telegram, Rumble, and Odyssey. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, promote preparedness, and share success. I am Toolman Tim. Today is February the 10th, 2023. This is episode 252 of the Workshop Podcast. How the hell is everyone out there? We are having just the most beautiful weather up here in the frozen tundra that is Alberta, Canada. I don't know what we did to deserve it. You know, the snow is melting and creating ice, but hell, we're going to take it. So tonight I'm flying solo. I'm excited to do this. I've committed to doing a Friday episode every single week that The Last of Us has a show, uh, an episode. And just so you know, Don't tune out right now, but tonight, actually probably right now, the episode premieres because they're trying to stay away from the Super Bowl. So anyway, good to have everybody here real quick. I got a couple of announcements to get out of the way, and then we'll dive into what we're talking about tonight. But number one is thanks, John Willis, for the latest t-shirt. It says, when tyranny becomes law, rebellion becomes duty. So, if you guys are looking for really cool, freedom minded gear and you want to support an incredible entrepreneur who has a story like you wouldn't believe, go to originalsoegear.com. That's original SOE as in special operations equipment gear.com. Number two, our very first and Uh, Yeah, the initial inaugural. (laughs) Yeah. How many times can you say that, Tim? Sponsor of the workshop podcast, FortressK9.com. My buddy, Joel Riles, he has the Protection Dog podcast where he pushes the envelope to inspire people, to give you verbal kicks in the ass, to get you motivated, to get you up and to get you going. That dude has a story like no other, and he is just an all-around awesome guy. So get out, support him, give his podcast a listen. And if you do, give me a holler so i know so i can let him know because that's what we're all here for. And finally guys, i know there has been a lot of pop culture on this channel recently. It just all i had a whole bunch of plans all at once. They all came um, kind of together. There'll still be some going forward, but we're getting back to the roots starting first of next week. Tomorrow night we have our workshop watch party. I'm real excited about that. We are watching Groundhog Day. So, if you want to be on the live stream Join the Telegram group and I will post the invite link there. But if you want to follow along, you got to watch on Rumble. Simple as that. So I'm excited. We had a blast at Christmas time when the whole community got together and we watched Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And hey, we're a week late for watching Groundhog Day. But whatever. I'm excited. I can't wait. I know a lot of people have been asking. They've been um, messaging me here in the Telegram group asking when it's going to happen. And it is tomorrow evening. We got a like and a heart over on, we got a like from Craig Leach over on Facebook and a heart from my daughter, Gracie Cook. Thank you very much. I never realized I could see that. Good to have you guys. And all right, so where are we heading here tonight, guys? Hey, Byron Roberts, good to have you. So if you've noticed, I'm a discombobulated head floating around here. I thought I'd try one of these uh, dark black SOE t-shirts and now I look like I'm floating in the background like a mime. So I'm enjoying that. And I don't have my... uh, Pretty assistant, my better half sitting next to me. She had to go away for a work/slash leisure trip for the weekend. And she told me, honey, you are in charge of holding down the fort. So we're going to chat about episode four. Little, where do we want to start with this, guys? Great episode. Reading some of the reviews online, or more so, some of the social media comments, you see the word filler used a lot, as in, it's a filler episode. Well, honestly, it's a point A to point B episode. The entire story is a road trip episode. So how anyone can complain when they spend time on the road chatting with one another and end up in trouble is beyond me. So we open up, we have Ellie, she's, you know, doing her best, I don't know, Scarface impersonation, or, you know, you're looking at me and she's playing with a gun in a mirror. Of course, joel still doesn't know the fact that she has a gun and she's just kind of you know making sure she's comfortable with it we find out a little more behind the story of the the gun thing after a while but either way that's where we start out they're on the side of the road and as soon as she puts that away she goes over to talk to joel and he's siphoning gas now this is where my prepper senses start tingling if you guys remember the collapse happened in 20 Uh, 2003. It's now 2023, 20 years later. Joel's pulling along the side of the road to siphon gas out. Now they do their best to explain that the gas has separated and it's mostly water. Therefore he needs to, you know, stop and siphon about once an hour. I don't know. If anybody out there has used 20 year old gas recently, I'd love to know how you made out. Because sitting in, I know it's enclosed in a, in a fuel canister, you know, in the gas tank on a vehicle, but when it comes down to it, Jesus sitting out in all the elements like that, hot, cold all year round for 20 years. I just can't see how that gas would be any good for anything, but anyway, you know, so they have a really cool interaction. I really enjoyed it where she asks him how siphoning works and he tries his damnedest to, to play it off like he knows how it is, and, and he really, really doesn't. And so there's a running joke or a running gag in this whole episode of where they tell each other. Sorry, no, let me back up where Ellie ruins Joel's day with puns. She has a book that's um, I can't remember the exact title, something like No Punny Matter or something. It's a it's a just a book that is full of dad jokes, and I, I enjoyed them so. <laughs> And honestly, I think the best joke was the very first one she opens with, but she looks at Joel and she says, well, if you're going to be a grump, it's time that we talk about this, uh, this story here. And she opens up the book, says, you know what, Joel, no matter how far you push the envelope, it will always be stationary. And that joke is so funny. (laughs) It works on two levels. And yeah, that would be, uh, my kids would appreciate that joke beyond belief. But I love how throughout this episode, the first time she tells a joke, Joel just shakes his head and he's just disappointed. He's just pissed off. He's grumpy because she called him out on not knowing how siphoning works. The second time she tells a joke, you see he, he doesn't laugh, but he engages with it. And I enjoy that quite a bit. And then the third time, well, we'll get to the third time, but There's quite a bit of building of the relationship between these two. Even though Joel is trying his damnedest to play the hard guy, to leave, to not get emotionally attached to Ellie. Because I think he has this history, this mental block in his head that if I try to look out for her, I'm going to lose her. She's going to die eventually. Because, I mean, it happened with his daughter. It happened with his partner. And now he's like, you know what, Ellie? There's a great line later on where she talks about why should we, you know, what's the importance of family? And he looks at her and he's basically like, well, to be honest, you're not family you're just cargo. And that's a hard man trying to stay hard because you can see the, the little chinks in the armor starting to break down on Joel. And he's really starting to make a connection with Ellie and start to really feel for her. And I think that's hard for him. I, I don't know the loss that he suffered losing his daughter the way he did, but it must be horrible. You've got this daughter that probably reminds him of his, sorry, you have this girl who probably reminds him of his daughter all the time. Every time he's talking to her and he knows in his mind he failed because he did everything he could to save his daughter and she ends up dying basically in his arms and that that that's tough. So for him to start softening and take a liking to Ellie is, it's pretty incredible So they get on the road, they've got their freshly siphoned gasoline, and Ellie's rifling around in the backseat, and she finds an old cassette tape of Hank Williams, and she's like, oh, there's an old one for you, Joel, one that you would have grew up with, and he's like, well, it predates me, and I I don't know if, I don't think The Last of Us started this cliche or this trope, but there is this trope, and my son can tell you more about it, but um, there's a few video games that just love to take really old 1940s, 1950s. You can call it rock. You can call it country, whatever. They love to take those old songs that I wouldn't have been caught dead listening to in high school and turning them into this ominous theme for these post-apocalyptic films. And what ends up happening is, you know, the Gen Zs and the millennials, they end up falling in love with these songs, songs that I'd even never even heard of. So anyway, they start playing the Hank Williams tune. And one of the lines in the song is the title to this episode. And then from there, you, uh, you get to hear more of it. And it it was played, it was, it's a key song that you hear in the video game. So 10 years ago, you know, they were one of the first ones. And uh, Fallout was another one that my son played a lot that they play these, you know, old timey songs, And, and it fits into the narrative of it. And then Ellie keeps digging around and what does she hollow? And there's a really cute exchange here where Ellie finds herself a Playgirl magazine in the back that was uh, from the two dudes from the episode before. And she, she makes a couple of comments like, how in the hell could you walk with something like that between your legs? And I laughed out loud at that one. And then she asked Joel, she, it's funny because she's still a kid. She's, she's in that in-between age where my girls are right now, where, where they're kids, but they're. They're also becoming adults or they're starting to understand adult things. So they have a really good sense of humor. Sometimes they're sad and scared like little kids. And then other times they make really funny and offhand jokes and that sort of thing. But she asked Joel, she's like, uh, yeah, uh, why are these magazine pages all sticky? And you can tell Joel's just like, oh my God, he, he, he's completely lost. He, and turns out that she's just joking. So she's smart enough to know that joke but it, uh, it cracks me up kind of the, the interaction. And, and I've said all along, the strength in this show is the walking and talking and Hey, Darkwing Dave over on Twitch. Great to have you always love it. The, so, like I said, the strength is the walking and the talking or the driving and the talking, but it's the, you know, when they ask, I, I mentioned this last night when uh, Cam and Colby uh, and I were doing the, the commentary for the movie signs, but when it comes down to it, uh, you know, the master of dialogue is Quentin Tarantino. And when he was asked one time, how do you come up with great dialogue? He just said, hey, I put two guys in a room and I get them talking and I see what happens. And it can't be easy writing believable, authentic sounding dialogue. But these guys, the writer of, um, which ones do we get? We, the writer of the video game and the writer of Chernobyl, they have done just great work tying this in and making the dialogue believable because you've got a guy who's 40 years older, who is a long time survivor of the apocalypse, who's broken inside and you have this annoying teenage girl that is just constantly picking at him and nagging and making jokes and constantly asking questions. But I love it. it. It is so authentic. And as they go along and you just start to see how Joel warms up a little more and a little more, and for anybody who says an episode like this wasn't necessary, well, you know what? You don't need to watch the show because every one of these episodes. This is you, you need to leave that. You need to leave room for characters to breathe. You need to create the world. I'm going to talk about that a little further down, because if, if you want every episode to be this big action set piece that just is all action with no story, with no heart, with no character. what do you get? You get a, you know, Michael Bay's Transformer 6, which is just a whole bunch of high set points with zero emotional stakes. And you end up coming away from it like you ate a bag of Doritos. You felt good at the time or, you know, it it scratched that itch, but it's forgettable when you're done. Whereas a show like this that takes the time to breathe and takes the time to build a world, it's like eating a beautiful ribeye steak. It takes time it takes work, but when you're done, you're satisfied and you remember it. It gives you that memory. It sticks with you. It's not, it's not a bag of Doritos that you take the, you know, the foil bag, ball it up and throw it out. It's that memory of a beautiful meal. And in this case, it's a memory or the experience of following these characters and just going along and having that journey and growing with them. And that's what I love. So something as simple as, you know, they pull off the side of the road and and Joel is driving off in uh, just, you know, basically a, a field. It's all overgrown and it looks like Alberta, you know, Alberta in the areas that actually have trees. And they decide to pull off for the night and Joel's telling her the plan that if we sleep tonight, I can drive all day and all night tomorrow and we'll be in Wyoming come sunrise, which is great. And they have this great moment where they sit down and they eat a 20-year-old can of Chef Boy RD ravioli. And uh Ellie is just ravenous. She's throwing it down her face like you know, a dog who hasn't eaten in six weeks. And he says, Slow down, Ellie. And she's like, This is slow. I don't she had never had that, of course, before. And they kind of bond over this ravioli where Joel has to admit, yeah, this shit really does taste good. And Ellie's experiencing it for the first time. That's what's kind of cool. You get this world weary guy who is re-experiencing all these things on the road for the first time in 20 years. And you have this yellow, young, green behind the ears, preteen teenager who is literally experiencing all this stuff for the first time. And it's a really cool dichotomy, the two of them together. So um, as they sit down, they they have a conversation about... uh, OK, well, this is where you see a bit of Ellie's softness again, where, where her childish, or, you know, because she asked Joel, you know, a couple of things. Can we start a fire? And Joel says, well, you know what I'm going to say. And she goes, yeah, it'll attract the um, the clickers. And he said, no, not the clickers. He, he, he makes a throwaway line that I didn't quite understand is basically... Um, we're too far, we're too remote to stay away from the clickers or to, to be worried about the clickers. So they must congregate where the most people were. And they've kind of stationed themselves there. And he said, of course, Fedra, the government, the whatever you want to call them, they're not going to be around because they stick around where their quarantine zones are. But he said the hunters, the roving hunters are the people you need to worry about. And he tells her, don't worry, Ellie, you go to sleep. We won't worry about it. Let's go to bed. And uh, of course, as soon as she goes to sleep, he wakes right back up and he goes on patrol with his rifle. And this is one of those, when I watch a show like this, and sometimes you don't catch it on the first go around, writing that means something I love. There's no throwaway line. There's no throwaway piece of dialogue. Everything has stakes to it. So Joel decides I'm not going to sleep. Now, For starters, I think, well, this is a bad idea because you've already planned on getting up and driving all night and all day, all day and all night tomorrow. So you're going to be tired at the wheel. And he decides to stay up all night to guard Ellie to make sure she's safe. So despite the fact that he told her, hey, you're going to be good, he didn't believe it. So you know that's going to cause some trouble. Ellie wakes up in the morning and uh, Joel's boiling coffee in an an old-fashioned percolator on the open fire. And she says it smells like burnt shit. And he is just absolutely excited to drink it. And it's a cool nod to the video game because if you remember in the video game, Joel's always lamenting about the loss of coffee and how he wishes they had some and how they're, they'd be nice to be able to find some somewhere. Now, albeit this is probably 20 year old, you know, bottom shelf coffee that uh, was stored up, but I don't care. I mean, <laughs> reusing coffee grinds from 20 years ago would probably be better than nothing at that point because who doesn't want a hot cup of coffee in the middle of the woods, especially after 20 years, I couldn't imagine. So Joel also talks about the Raiders and how you can tell he's getting really protective of Ellie because he he makes another comment that they're not going to come to rob us. They're not going to come to murder us. They'll have something worse in mind, especially for you, Ellie. And when you hear that, that just absolutely, uh, breaks her heart. And uh Dixon says the long sip was great. That's how I'd handle it. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, kids and coffee and trying to explain things. I And one of the things about Ellie is as soon as she gets up, she's full of piss and wind and questions. And you could tell Joel's just like, "Alright kid, could you just shut the hell up for a minute while I just get my bearings i mean the dude's been up all night and he's just trying to drink coffee and you know kind of wake himself up and she's yeah anyway <laughs> so they start uh, they get ready to go ellie tells joel another joke uh, before they fell asleep at night and I, so this is the second of the corny jokes the puns that she shares and of course what i liked about this of course the first one she tells the joke and joel's like nope no I don't, i'm not listening to it the second one builds on that a bit. She says, Hey, Joel, why was the scarecrow so good at your job? So good at his job. And before she gets a chance to say it, Joel goes, because he was outstanding in his field. I mean, that is the dumbest, lamest, most cliche dad joke you're ever going to find, but he knew it. And she's, she accused him of looking at the book and he he just knew it. I mean, that's one of those jokes that every dad knows. And he gets a little smug and she's kind of pissed, but There's a little more of a connection there. So they went from him just ignoring her joke to him, you know, entering her punchline ahead of time. And I thought that was really cool. So they start driving along and Ellie, Ellie starts asking questions again. Now, again, it's, it's awesome to see where they've come from. One of my favorite scenes early on was in the first episode when Tess is climbing up through the elevator shaft and Joel and Ellie need to sit there and wait and she starts peppering with questions and he says pass pass nope no more questions about me and so they left it at that for that point and now on the road they've you know things have softened up a bit and she starts asking about well you know how did you get to Boston what about your brother why are you so worried about your brother and we get some exposition here that helps fill in the backstory because the biggest question I have is how the hell Joel ended up from Austin Texas to Boston Massachusetts in the middle of a grid down scenario with uh, spores and fungus and clickers absolutely everywhere. So it was a pretty, I I really glad they went back and filled it in with what could have just been mindless banter on the side of the road or along the road. And of course, like I said, the sign of good writing in a good screenplay or teleplay in this instance is that there's no throwaway lines. There's no wasted words. There's, you know, um, in the words of Kevin off the office, why use many words when few do that kind of thing. But th- that's the case for really good dialogue and really sharp scripts. And the show doesn't you know, overstay its welcome either. The, this one was just over 40 minutes. It goes quick. There's, there's really no wasted pace. So she asked him like, well, what's the deal with Tommy? Why, why are you so worried about him? And he says, well, because Tommy's what we call a joiner. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, Oh yeah, I, I know people like that. It just, you could call it a follower, but it, Tommy needs to have a cause to believe in. So when Tommy was young, he joined the military. When things fell apart, he made himself a woman and eventually joined the fireflies who are the resistance movement. And so that was basically, let's go around. Let's not be good. Let's not be bad. Let's do what we need to do to survive. And so they basically followed their way up the, you know, through the Midwest, the coast up to Massachusetts and, so that explains how joel got there even though he was never a part of the fireflies he basically followed along because he was so worried that his joiner brother would end up dead or hurt that he had to follow along to look after him and it was a really cool fill-in of the story and i appreciated that and there's a few other places along where a little later on when they get ambushed ellie asked joel how'd you know that that was an ambush how'd you know it was fake and the guy wasn't really injured and Joel says, well, I've been on both sides of the coin. And when when Tess said, that's a callback to Tess saying to Joel, hey, uh, we weren't good people. So they obviously did things. Like Joel says, I did what I needed to to survive. In other words, that probably means that they killed innocent people and took their shit. And that really sucks because that's going to weigh on Joel through and through. But again, he's a survivor. He does what he needs to do to get by. So, yeah, they have a really good conversation. And then Joel basically says to Ellie, you know, I, I love my brother, but there's just no point to this life. The survival sucks. And she looks at him and she says, if it's just survival, why bother living? And, of course, because Joel's a protector, he says something along the lines of family. You have to look out for family. That And in, in his mind... That's his goal. That's the thing that he is on this earth for. And that theme was back last week as well with uh, the two, you know, with Ron Swanson and his boyfriend or husband in the, uh, you know, the bunker and they their, their compound. Again, he was a protector. He looked out for his man. And when he was gone, he knew he didn't have a role. So for Joel, even if he likes to act like he is a loner, he needs someone to protect. And that's, this is the role that Ellie is filling for him. And uh, no matter what, that's his purpose in this life. So Joel says like, um, family, that's who I got to look out for. But at the same time, you can tell he doesn't want to get connected because he says, which could be taken as the meanest line in the show so far, but he looks at Ellie and he says, Ellie, you're not family. You're just cargo. And it's like, oh, it's almost like when uh your kid's really little and they have you're having an argument and they say something like i just hate you and that just breaks your heart because you know they don't mean it but it just it hits you in the feels and you're like god damn it kid you should know better than this and that's what i was thinking to joel i'm like why are you trying to break that poor little girl's heart so they're driving along and they come to a um detour or an underpass in the highway, overpass, underpass. And it's blocked with a little Debbie's truck that's peeling off. You can tell 20 years in the sun. And that underpass is from near the Calgary airport. If I got my locations right when I was researching this and they stop along the side of the road and we're going to talk a little more about the world they've created tonight. So of course the filming's all across the province and in this part was in Calgary and they do so well because everything or almost everything is done in camera. And basically that means practical effects. that's done between, you know, the, the protagonist or the actor and the background. And so, you know, you've got trucks that are blocking this underpass, you've got cars on the side of the road, you've got moss and grass growing up everywhere. And it just looks so believable. So Joel says, well, we'll just be a minute. And of course that's like the horror movie trope. Don't ever say we'll just be a minute or I'll just be right back because you know damn well you're getting shot in the head or stabbed through the heart in the next scene. So Joel says, hey, we'll just bypass. We'll lose one minute. We'll keep going. Well, those were words to live by or not live by. So as they come around the corner and they're trying to do a a bypass, you find out that they're in Missouri, Kansas City. And what's cool is in the video game, it was supposed to be Pittsburgh. Now, I'm not sure exactly why they did that, I'm guessing just to kind of shorten up the trip or make it, I don't know. I'm not really sure why they ended up going with Kansas, but doesn't matter. So they're driving through and Ellie screams at Joel, hey, stop quick. And they see the QZ doors wide open. That's the quarantine zone doors. And that would be unheard of in Massachusetts and Boston. So they know some kind of shit has gone sideways there. And that puts them at, you know, at a state of unease. And Ellie's flipping through the map and trying to figure out, well, what do I do? Where do we go? And Joel's like, you know, don't look at the state map. We're, we're in a city. We need a a highway map right here. And he's getting mad. You can tell they're both really stressed out. And Joel's pushing that old S10 to its limits. And they come around a corner and there's this, you know, age old trope, this age old cliche that you see in all the old movies or a lot of the movies in the nineties too, where, you know, somebody's driving along and you see this hot blonde on the side of the road with her hood up and steam coming out from under her engine. And so you're like, you know what we'll do? We'll stop and we'll help her. (laughs) And as soon as you do, her boyfriend rolls out of the ditch with a rifle and says, that'll be it. I'll take your vehicle. But Joel's wise in the way of the world. And he doesn't stop. There's this guy kind of coming out and he's like, Oh, I'm so injured. Help me, help me. And Joel's like, shit. He says, Ellie, put on your seatbelt. That's where you can tell he's starting to protect her a bit and he floors it. Damn near nails the guy. And then my heart breaks as somebody drops a cinder block on that beautiful, pristine windshield on that Chevy S10. Just like putting a new windshield in a car in Alberta, and you go three miles down the road, and some you know oil truck picks up a piece of gravel from the first grid road it sees and puts it right through your windshield, or at least a nice ding in it. So it always sucks to see that. But I knew right then and there that they were, they were done with that vehicle, and, and that sucks. <laughs> Uh, As they're driving around in the city, you come by an old dilapidated theater and it's the Globe Theater from downtown Edmonton. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, but I love that, this whole world they create. And so Joel's rushing along and carrying on and they get ambushed or the the car ends up flipping, they crash. And this is straight out of the video game and I, I don't know how to explain it. But, you know, everything is kind of hyper-realized a bit in the show. And it feels like a video game. We'll talk about the the audio a little bit. So they crash and they have to barricade themselves behind the vehicle. And and Joel's shooting and carrying on. He's basically telling Ellie, you got to go crawl through that hole in the wall. I mean, right out of the video game. And so he sends her that way. And this is what works in this show. And when Joel's there shooting off, and carrying on you hear these voices off in the distance so you've got joel right here and way off here you hear this i'm gonna kill you motherfucker and then over here he's like i'm gonna pay you back for what you did now here's the thing in a show like the walking dead they would have cut to some ugly looking scraggly post-apocalyptic dude over here screaming his head off and then they would have cut to you know tommy or billy's little brother over here hollering and then they cut back to a close-up of the um of joel but instead they kind of keep the camera behind joel in the third person like you'd see in a video game and you get to see these brief glances around and the audio is coming from off screen that almost never happens unless it's used for a very specific purpose in most movies and tv shows but it's done all the time in this to mimic the video game and it, um, it makes it makes it claustrophobic and it help it it helps you get into the mindset of a person. Because if you were in a gunfight and you hear somebody holler, you're not gonna see their face necessarily because they're probably behind cover as well. You're not gonna quite know where they are, you're just gonna hear the noise. And that's what video games do so well. But movies tend to not because you know you will get the close up of the of the grizzled guy with the gun getting ready to shoot and then they'll cut to this ugly guy that you know and so I, I like that I love what they've done with the sound it's something different it feels fresh even though it's from a video game when it's done and it's done to great effect in this in this episode and uh, the first episode especially so they get into a fight Joel ends up shooting two of them bust through the wall where she went into she's hiding in the back. Joel thinks he's got them all, and of course, some guy's brother, some young kid comes through the door and gets the best of uh, what we find out soon is Joel, 56-year-old Joel, and they struggle on the ground, and he gets down on the ground, and of course, you know, you know this is, I don't want to call it predictable, but this is one of the few times where they really choreographed what they were going to do, because you knew damn well when Ellie picked up the gun in the end of episode three, after being told by Joel you can't have a gun. We all knew she was going to save his life. I mean, it's in the video game anyway, but even if you didn't, that is such a thing that you just know is coming, right? So Joel's laying on the ground, getting strangled across the neck by a, you know, 12 gauge shotgun and Ellie, you know, she, you can tell she's kind of wrestling with the idea. What do I do? What do I do? She pulls out the gun. She comes out and she shoots the guy from behind and he falls over. And this is where the show goes from, you know, action to just grab you. Like, this is the other director, the the co-showrunner, not the one who created the video game, but the one who created the, um, the Russian atomic meltdown in Chernobyl. He did that show. That show gets under your skin. And there's very few scenes in movies that really make my skin crawl. One of them was in Drive, the movie Drive, when you're up close and a guy, he stabs him in one of the arteries and he talks him through as he dies. That has always stuck with me over the years. It just, I don't know, it it wrecked me a little bit. And then another one is in, um, I think it was the the white or the, the gray, sorry, the gray with Liam Neeson, where they crash on the plane and he talks a young guy through dying. And it just, it really bugs, it bugged me. So the guy's laying on the ground, and you know, I mean, we all know this is a post-apocalyptic world, and guys who get shot through the back, out through the stomach, don't survive, period. Even if you had a perfect hospital to get to, you'd have a hell of a time surviving today. So he's laying on the ground and he's 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 going through all the stages of grief right there, you know, bargaining maybe not acceptance, but the rest of them. And he's like, Hey, Jolda, don't, don't, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me here. Here have my knife. It's a nice knife. And you're like, Oh my God, he doesn't say nice knife actually, which is really cool. And I caught this. He calls it a good knife. And what I like about that is that shows that people's, the thing that is important to people has changed over 20 years. Because if you bartered for your life with someone 20 years ago, you would say, Hey, here's a Rolex. It's a nice watch. Now you would say, hey, here's a Timex. It's a good watch. And what he means by that is it works. And when he says it's a good knife, he doesn't mean it's a nice knife. He just means it's a knife that served him really well. And then he starts crying and babbling on. He says, oh, my mom's just around the corner. And you know what's going to happen. Joel comes at him with a gun and he says, Ellie, get back in that room. So she does and she's there. And again, I'm, I'm actually really impressed with the restraint of the directors and people can say what they want about them, that, uh, they're not showing enough gore. I don't think it needs to be there because they have proven from day one that they're not scared to show shit. (laughs) I mean, when they had the, uh, the cadaver in episode two and you see full frontal nudity of the, the older lady, you know, they're not messing around but a lot of times less is way more and in this instance you get to experience what happens through Ellie's eyes and again that's another something they extracted from the video game so you're in the back room watching Ellie listen as you hear Joel step up and you hear and then you hear the guy die and to me I think that's more effective than watching Joel go over and slit the guy's throat or stab him through the chest because, again, I love this quote, but uh, the monster you don't see is scarier than what you do. And no matter what they put on screen, it wouldn't hold up to what your mind sees in its mind's eye. So I, I love that. I, I'm, I, I've really appreciated the restraint they've shown in this. Again, like last week when they pull back to the, the window of the bedroom, they don't show the dead bodies in the bed. You don't need to. There's reasons for that. And I really appreciate this because there's times this show is a hard R, but it doesn't always need to be there. And Cam and Colby and I talked about this last night about how sometimes a PG-13 horror movie can be more effective than an R-rated horror movie because you need to build tension, you need to build atmosphere, you need to build uh, dread in the audience. Whereas in horror you can just throw up a bunch more crazy kills. You know, you can cheap out and cut somebody's head off or disembowel them or whatever. And that's fine. And I I enjoy that stuff at times, but it doesn't take as much work to throw a bunch of blood on the screen as it does to create a world and an environment that literally gets under your skin. So from there, it's like a hard cut. And uh, we get introduced to the Kansas rebellion leader, her name's Kathleen. I had to look it up because I didn't remember. She She's from the show Yellow Jackets that Becky loves. It's a kind of a horror movie about um, a sports team of high school girls who crash on a, uh, like a jungle island or something. And uh, she's in there, in, in uh, she's in a storage container, jail cell, something like that, interrogating a doctor. And there's a lot of back and forth. And you can tell She's a broken lady, her family, you know, her brother died because somebody turned him over to Fedra and she blames the doctor. I mean, he could just, in my mind, I really think she's treating him as a scapegoat. Maybe he was a collaborator. I don't know. We'll never know because, well, his fate's sealed at the end of this episode. And um, they have, they have a, a pretty good kind of back and forth where, it he, he he tries it. He's basically begging for his life as well, without saying it. And he ends with, "Well, I delivered you," and you can tell it softens her just enough that she walks away. She gets called out. Her men have brought back the three, you know, dead or dying that Joel took care of, and uh, she asks her right hand man who the gentleman who is the actor playing her right-hand man in this was the voice actor of the brother Tommy in the video game. So I love little, I don't know, like Easter eggs like that. So he tells her, hey, we got outsiders. We need to deal with them. And she outrightly lies to her people and says, hey, this is somebody named Henry. This is what they call a Fedra turncoat, or basically it's her enemy, you know, (laughs) the person she's trying to catch. So she uses this to her advantage, even though she knows damn well that there are people um, in the community that shouldn't be there. She blames it on that. And she uses this as an excuse to be the evil leader she is. And they go around, round up civilians and kill them. (laughs) So, I mean, again, another cliche of the rebellion leader is just as bad as the leader they replaced. I don't mind it. It works. I don't necessarily think she's the greatest actress in the world, but she's not bad. You know, people were complaining that she didn't look like a warlord. And I'm thinking, what the hell is a warlord? It doesn't matter. I mean, you have guys in the mafia that are three feet high and, you know, no bigger than Joe Pesci and they're a warlord. So yeah, anyway. And, uh, What I like from there is some of the practical prepping stuff that Joel does throughout these episodes. But for him, he said to Ellie, like, we need to get high ground. And she knew right away so they could see. And this is something, I mean, yeah, does it come natural? Sure. But when you're in a city, you don't necessarily think about this. He said, we need to find the tallest building and we need to get as high as we can so that we can scope out a clear and safe path to get out of Dodge. That was kind of cool. So they find the, the tallest building in Kansas Ellie's the one who spots it. She's like, hey, it's about four blocks over and it's just neat how their brains work. So they find it <laughs> and they managed to get up 33 stories. They climb 33 stories. And what I love is that Joel is not a machine in this. And I don't remember, it's been a couple of years since I played the video game, but I want to say that uh, they don't spend a lot of time kind of dealing with how age is dealt with Joel. But in this, they definitely do. You know, he sits on the ground and he's breathing heavy. And Ellie's busting his balls like, come on, old man, get up. And he makes a throwaway comment about, well, I am 56. So that that dude's, you know, (laughs) four years away from getting a discount at the drugstore. And he is 56. He needs to sit and catch his breath. But she forces him to get up. They go in, they find themselves a, a place to hold up. And this is where that opening camping scene, I think comes back. There's a few things in this that they're callbacks. And so I really love the final scene of this episode. They go in and Joel is being so careful. He gets himself a bag full of broken glass and he spreads it out all over the door so that if somebody comes through, he's going to hear broken glass. So that's kind of his tripwire, his cans tied to a string, whatever and he's being extra cautious. Now, if you remember back, Joel stayed up the entire night before. So he's exhausted. He's been in the car crash. He's been in the firefight. He has adrenaline dump like crazy. I'm sure he's probably come down off that. He's just climbed 33 story, uh, 33, well, be 66 st- sets of stairs probably. And he's beat. So there is no way in hell he's keeping watch anyway. And at some point, Ellie makes this throwaway comment that, uh, you know, Joel, I've also noticed you're not only old, you're also deaf in your right ear. (laughs) And Joel says, well, it's probably from doing a lot of shooting. And she says, well, from being shot at or shooting. And he says, both. And so all of this combined turns into a rather interesting ending to this episode. So before that, let's go into the third joke of the episode and, uh, Ellie looks at him and she says, um, did you know that diarrhea is hereditary? And uh, she tell, I mean, that is just, you know, that is like a 10-year-old joke, right? And she goes, yeah, it runs in your jeans. <laughs> and at that point, Joel starts giggling or chuckling a little bit. So he, the armor is officially removed or broken at this point. And like I said, you have this awesome road trip that is... Bookmarked by two corny jokes with one in the middle. And they they use those jokes to break down Joel's armor and to build up the relationship and connection between them. So um here uh Darkwing Dave says that was referenced in a comparison review of the game and series. In the series, Joel can do almost anything, but in the series, uh, sorry, I might have, so in the in the video game, Joel can do almost anything. But in the series, he has hearing issues. Yeah, I love that. I I appreciate that quite a bit. Yeah, no worries, Darkwing. And uh, yeah, Byron says, you got to love writers for all the dad jokes. 100%. I mean, I'm sitting there groaning and rolling and I'm thinking, I got to try these on my kids because uh, they're going to hate me for it and I'm going to love it. So like I said, Joel stayed up the night before on watch. So there's no way in hell he's staying up tonight. And it's probably more important now because he knows there's enemies out there. Whereas the night before, he just suspected. Again, the fear of the unknown, right? He falls asleep on his left side. The camera shows it very well. He sleeps on his left side, his right side's up. In a minute later, he's woken up by Ellie, kind of hollering like, Joel, Joel, Joel. And as Joel rolls over, there's a small little African-American kid with a gun in his face going, shh. So again, no throwaway lines, no wasted dialogue. Every plot point in the writer's uh, in the writer's mind paid off in this episode. And that is a sign of great writing. That's writing I could never do. So just because I can recognize it don't mean I can do it. But uh, yeah, the fact that Joel was exhausted, the fact that he couldn't hear out of his right ear was the reason they got ambushed here. And it's a good cliffhanger because this story continues in the video game and it's going to be good I I really enjoyed this it's it's a it's an interesting kind of you know uh parlay where they they come into the city and just spend some time going around I remember really struggling with uh (laughs) Mrs Cook is listening tonight she's in the city probably enjoying um uh Uber Eats or skip the dishes or whatever getting some food in the uh, hotel but uh, she had to put up here, did you know diarrhea is genetic? It runs in your genes. Because she always appreciates my dad jokes every single time. So <laughs> love you, darling. Wish you were here. So he gets caught. And that's the end of that episode. It was a great episode. It, uh, for anybody out there that was crying, less filler, more action. I'm not really sure what I can do for you. Not that I have anything to do with the show, but I just think that it was a perfect episode. It, Again, people need to understand that stories, worlds, characters need room to breathe, because if they don't, they become one-dimensional and hollow like a bag of Doritos. You know, they need to build up and be like a great big prime rib. So again, um, I had two kind of things I wanted to highlight after I did the the summary of the show there. And the first one is just how incredible of a world these uh, writers and set designers have created. There's just so much right from the opening scene. And and of course, I love it. You play this game and I'm sure Chris Dixon does this even more because a lot of this was filmed really close to him or a lot closer than it is to me. But you're looking at it and you're like, Oh, it's, you know, do I recognize that area? Do I recognize this area? But there's just so much that was just well built. So the first thing it opens up at an old shell station that again, looks like it's straight out of the video game. And I thought, well, where in the hell did they find that? It looks old. It looks like something you would see on the back roads in Alberta, except it would probably still be open and the windows would be boarded up. I went through one going up to Wabasca one time that literally had the windows boarded over. So, (laughs) um, oh boy, (sighs) I'm going to read this one here. Darkwing Dave just shared this um, incredible scientific fact that I hadn't learned before. It's actually breaking news, so you guys will probably appreciate this. Says that scientists have recently created immortal frogs. Must be genetically modifying or something. They remove their vocal cords. They say they can't croak. But bump. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed that one. So they had this old gas station that looked like it had been sunbeaten and the weather and the mold, everything had got to it for years. And I had to look it up thinking, well, this must be a real location. Well, it was something they really built for the show. So they're really committed to it. Again, they're in a store and you see this old Dorito sign that takes me back to my uh, you know high school days because they were like this. I don't know how to explain it, but it had that real 90s look to it. It was like somebody took a pencil crayon and went back and forth in the shape of a triangle. It was that old Doritos logo. So that took me back. You know, there's dilapidated cars everywhere. I don't know how many old vehicles they must have hauled around to set up the different scenes, but it just worked. It looked old. And again, I'm going to bitch a little bit about the siphoning of the gas because in my mind, there is just no way that 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 you're going to run a vehicle on that? I don't know. I, I I don't think I'm wrong. I know a lot about fuel storage, and I'm the type of guy who says, you know, just because they say it's not going to last, it probably will. But I'm talking five, six, maybe ten years at the most. But I would love to know somebody who has some vehicle sitting around in a junkyard that they could siphon twenty-year-old fuel out of and try, because you know, it it wasn't like they had ethanol fuel in 2003. At least I don't believe they did. So it would have lasted a bit longer, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I don't think it would work. And then they had this awesome little Debbie truck that you could barely tell was even little Debbie because almost all the paint had peeled off it. So again, for them to design something like that, it just, it shows the amount of detail that they're willing to go through. And then uh, my favorite detail of the whole episode was the Globe Theater, which is the theater downtown Edmonton. I've never been there, but um. Mama and I have looked at going a couple times. They, they sometimes play 35 millimeter prints of films and they have uh, classics that they play there quite a bit. So they didn't need to change the the front of it at all. They just made it look more dilapidated. And I didn't catch this. This is from, um, oh man, I can't remember his name. I will put his link in the comments. Uh, There's a couple of YouTubers I follow for, um, review videos. And he said, it was good to know that the last two films ever seen by humanity were, uh, Underworld and Matchstick Men. And he claimed that Matchstick Men was probably the most underrated Nicolas Cage film of all time. That was the first, um, Nick, uh, the first DVD I ever rented. I remember that. So, you know, you go by, you see it in the background, they, they got two films playing. It's Underworld, Matchstick Men. So, you know, I had to Google it. So Matchstick Men was released September 2nd 23, uh, 2003. So it absolutely on time there. So it was in like its third week of release when the world collapsed. Underworld with Kate Beckinsale came out September 19th, the Friday before collapse day. When did collapse happen? September 26, 2003. It was outbreak day. I put it into Google. That was a Friday. That means that the last new film that humanity was ever blessed with was the modern day classic known as Underworld starring Kate Beckinsale. So, and if you're wondering what was supposed to open on September 22nd, 2003, it was the breakout hit of The Rock known as The Rundown. So that poor film in this alternative universe, The Rock never became a Hollywood superstar. And I'm honestly not disappointed Uh, But the only thing that I would miss would have been, um, you know, Central Intelligence with uh, him and and Kevin Hurt. So (laughs) anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. I had to look that up because I I love those details. And again, that just shows the amount of work they put into this. There was no guesswork. There was no, oh, let's just throw up a couple of movies and hopefully nobody will notice. No, they took the time to see, hey, what would have been playing? And, you know, Underworld would have been on the big screen. And Matchstick Men was in its third or fourth week of release. And so it's going to be playing in the smaller or the, the lesser populated theater. And I, I just thought that was neat. So a um, couple of more notes. I always look up the Rotten Tomatoes score for the episode. And every episode has had one dissenter so far. There's always been one, and it's been different each time. So it's not one contrary-minded reviewer. There's just been one each time. Well, this is the first episode that had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's probably the one uh, that I've seen complained about the most on social media for non-social issue reasons. Let's let's leave it at that. So it got 100. I loved it. It's just a, a really good episode. It's not as good as the opening episode or episode three, but it's just a well-crafted story that sets up and pays off, moves the story along, builds the characters up. So, you know, the overall 100% of reviewers give it a positive review. I thought that was pretty cool. Now, the ratings, this is what's insane about this show, and it is doing something. This is the other thing I wanted to talk about. The Last of Us is doing something that's almost never heard of on HBO or any, you know, prestige cable drama. So the review or the the Nielsen ratings came in and these, uh, they do uh, in the first week, views in the first week. So it's live views on TV plus uh, episode views for downloads on streaming. Episode one had 4.7 million, episode two 5.7 starting to sense a pattern. Episode three, 6.4 million. Episode four, 7.5 million. Every single week, it's going up by, you know, between 15 and 20%. It's huge. Now, here's the thing. No other show does that. If, if you take The Walking Dead, which is thematically very, very similar to The Last of Us, every single season would have a huge bump for the season premiere, and then it would tank to the point where the final episode of the season would be about half of what the premiere was. And then, of course, traditionally, once it got to about season six or seven, even the premieres were getting less and less returned. But that doesn't matter. I'm just looking for patterns. So if you go back to the first season of The Walking Dead, which is the last time I remember a post-apocalyptic show having this much hype with this much power behind it, Because I remember being legitimately excited for The Walking Dead when it came out. That first season was basically flatlined. It went 5.3, 4.7, 5.0, 4.7, 5.5, and 5.9. So just kind of up and down, and it ended slightly higher than where it started. That's, you know, I mean, that's for a show that people were excited about. They were watching. That was... 10, 12 years ago when that premiered yeah, at least. And so ratings were even a bigger thing than they are now. But so that, that that's the trend, you know, even new prestige shows like that don't tend to pick up, don't tend to get this huge audience. Boom as they go along, they will, what tends to happen is things like Breaking Bad after the first or second season, people find it on streaming and they start binging it. And then when the new season premieres, people are like, Ooh, and that's when they see the big jumps. So I thought, Hey, let's look at a few other HBO shows to see if anybody else has had this huge, you know, 45 degree growth. So I looked up House of dragon and they said in the last 10 years, the only episode to, um, of an HBO show to get higher opening numbers was the premiere of House of Dragon. And uh, they they did 200, uh, 2.17 million live views, which was almost three times as much as The Last of Us. But by the end of episode 10, they had dropped to 1.85. So they actually saw a decrease of around I don't know, five to 8% overall. Whereas, you know, there's almost been a hundred percent in increase in, uh, between episodes one and four. So this, this is huge. Uh, I looked up Chernobyl because you know, the co-founder or the, the co-showrunner of this is he wrote that. And it was, it was one of those shows that just hit the public zeitgeist and everybody got excited for it. And guess what? Chernobyl straight line right across. They actually had a drop in their final episode. So again, people were excited about it, but it wasn't uh, transitioning into numbers. Euphoria, that's another one that's been big, although not nearly as big. It was just one people were talking about. They basically flatlined week over week. There just wasn't any show that has followed this pattern in at least the modern streaming era. So this bodes well for it. I mean, that's the reason why they renewed it um, two episodes in. So that's exciting. At least we know it won't get canceled like Netflix loves to do right now. uh, HBO has a bonafide hit on their hands and the writing's incredible and it's just a damn good quality show. I hope they don't fuck it up. Let's put it like that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited. I can't wait. Oh, here we go. Um, Darkwing Dave just said, another fun fact, James Cameron announced he wasn't going to change anything for the anniversary release of Titanic. Then Neil deGrasse Tyson casually mentioned the stars were wrong. Cameron reported reportedly said, fine, you son of a bitch. What's the correct star chart for the date and time? And he changed it. (laughs) I love it. Leave it to Neil deGrasse Tyson. He he's a smart dude. He, He likes to interject and things, but I'll take it. And James Cameron has been known for. Uh, I mean, he's not as bad as Star Wars, for instance, you know, I'm looking at you, George Lucas, who basically changed, maybe not the theme, but like things that are pertinent to the plot. He actually changed from version to version. James Cameron did quite a bit between versions of Terminator 2, you know, before and after, which was fine. I'll give him that. But I didn't know about the the Titanic re-release. I love cool little facts about movies like that. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited. I can't wait to see uh, season two, at least I hope. Um, something else unrelated to this show, but something that's um, near and dear to my heart and a lot of people in the workshop. Uh, if everybody knows Hank Hill, you know, um, the show King of the Hill was just recently revived. It was supposed to be renewed or brought back by Fox last year, and they ended up canceling or, or not going ahead with the revival. They never made any shows. But Hulu, who really, when it comes down to it at this point, Hulu is 50% owned by uh, Disney, who also owns Fox. They give it a straight to series order. So we're going to get a whole new season of King of the Hill. So I'm cautiously optimistic about it. I also recently heard that they're going to do a reboot of Faulty Towers, which I don't think could happen in this day and age of wokeness everywhere. Just go watch the Nazi episode if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But as far as King of the Hill, I think it's a show whose time is here. I think it was ahead of its time a little bit in some ways. It's going to be neat to see how they handle Luann because uh, Brittany Murphy, the actress who played her, died two months before the final episode of the final season aired. So whether they recast her or they write her out, I think it would be quite nice if they find a way to honor her in some way I I, I really like Brittany Murphy for what she did so I'm looking forward to that um yeah so I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode as well I know I did and uh managed to carry this episode uh without Mrs. Cook here so I'm if she was here I probably would have went about two hours (laughs) so yeah Byron says I might get Hulu just for that I mean how could you not um I don't know. Other than Ron Swanson, I think uh, Hank Hill is one of the fictional characters that I relate to uh, the most. I hate to say that. I don't mean that in a bad way, but he's just, he's, I love him when, when he goes into Walmart and he needs to ask for help and he doesn't want to ask for help. And you're like, I feel that every time Becky looks at me when we go through Walmart, she's like, well, just ask somebody. I'm like, do you not remember the last 12 times we've asked for help from somebody and they don't fucking know what they're doing? it's not their fault. They're just not trained, but I just get mad and frustrated. The only thing worse than that is a shopping cart with a twisted wheel. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I hope they have a hell of a time. I hope Mike uh, Judge there um, does wonders with it. I hope he doesn't, um, he's got to modernize it. I just hope he doesn't go down the trail of, you know, go woke, go broke like maybe the latest Scooby-Doo reboot, but we don't need to go that far down. Um, Darkwing Dave says, speaking of curious to see how Mel Brooks' History of the World Part Two is going to work in the woke culture today. Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciated Mel Brooks' humor from earlier on. He kind of got a little, um, I don't know, it's almost like he lost some of his steam for his later stuff. So it'll be interesting. I mean, the only thing you know worse than these shows or these movies getting rebooted is if they tried to make a sequel to Blazing Saddles, from what I've heard. Still haven't watched it yet, guys, but I'm going to. I will. <laughs> so yeah, it, it will be interesting. I I don't know. It's tough. I was watching videos last night of comedians handling hecklers, and I'm reminded of how comedy can honestly be a tool. It allows us to look at things that we don't normally, that we're not willing to talk about. And it's able to bring issues up that uh, people maybe don't want to face and you're able to laugh at it. And it allows you to process things that you don't necessarily want to talk about. And uh, I think now I may have the, the comedian's name wrong, but I think it was he. Hannibal Burgess or however you pronounce his name, I believe he was making jokes about Bill Cosby years before anybody even wanted to admit that the dude was drugging women and and assaulting them. So, uh, you know, so it was a comedian who started telling that story. So if, if we can't joke about things when, when our, you know, when our lips are zipped and our hands are tied behind our back and we can't joke about things that make people uncomfortable at that point, I think we're in a bit of trouble and I hate to say that poor know your Joe just showed up and I'm you know you know finishing up with my uh (laughs) you the ending of the show here brother but it's always always good to have you but yeah I I'm looking forward to it there's a lot of you know I would say nine reboots out of ten I'm disappointed by if you guys remember back to the X-Files I was a huge X-Files fan but really I should have known better I mean, even the last two seasons, three seasons of the X-Files before it got canceled were hot dog shit. But, uh, oh man, I didn't even watch the second season of the X-Files reboot. So I had no, I, I, the first season was like, eh, I don't even understand what's going on. I didn't understand in the nineties, but now I really don't understand. I should be smart enough to figure this out. And it's even more confusing than it was. So we'll see where it ends up. But, uh, I'm cautiously optimistic about Hank Hill. Anyway, I know the uh, Beavis and ButtHead from the same creator. The reboot they did in the new movie has been widely uh, acclaimed by critics and audience alike. So he's able to do his humor, bring it into a modern time, and still um, maybe not, you know, bow down to the crowd that says don't do this. So let's see. And to be honest. You know, Hank, uh, you know, King of the Hill was a uh, a Fox animated show. So it wasn't like, you know, the bar was super high for edgy comedy anyway. You know, the, some of the edgiest stuff would have been uh, the next door neighbor con or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, what it is what it is, but I am looking forward to it. Let's see. We'll, we'll put our fingers crossed. We'll leave it at that. So that's it for me, guys. Um, wanted to give you a sneak peek of what's coming up next week. I told you we have, this has been the pop culture week. It just all came together. I, I've been excited. It's been fun for me, but I wanted to, yeah, know your Joe says you got to be able to laugh at stuff. Friggin' right you do. But I wanted to be able to kind of get back to some of the, um, eh, just the basics next week. It's going to be a fun week. But so uh, Sunday evening, we have RZ, a fellow podcaster, a fellow member of the community, the workshop community. He's going to be on the podcast He comes from the Saturday Free Speech Zone. I love that name. It's a a really cool podcast that he does that reminds me a bit of talk radio and a bit of public access television and a little bit of CBC radio up here that you guys wouldn't necessarily know. Um, What day time is the next live stream? So Joe, we have two coming up. So the the next live stream that I'm going to be right here chatting will be Sunday evening, 7 o'clock Mountain Time. So an hour before what this is. So right now it's 8 o'clock Mountain Time for the ending. So 7 o'clock Mountain Time, Sunday evening will be my next interview. Tomorrow evening we're doing a workshop watch party. That won't be on YouTube for reasons that you can all probably figure out. It's going to be streaming on Rumble, but if you want to be part of the live show where you get to be on screen with audio or video, kind of like mystery science theater 3000 drop in the telegram group. You can grab the link from the description here, come by and I'll have the invite link pinned in there. But if you just want to watch, it's going to be on rumble. I will post the links. And again, it's going to be seven o'clock mountain time. It'll be fun. We'll watch a bill Murray movie, drink some bourbon, crack some jokes and just have a hell of a time. I like that because it lets me let my hair down and, uh, you know, I don't do my nails that night. It's quite fun usually. So yeah, RZ free from the free speech Saturday, sorry, the Saturday free speech zone will be Sunday night, 7pm mountain time. After that, the next one's going to be Wednesday evening, 7pm mountain time. And I have Brian Alexovich coming on from the Lots Project, another bonus episode, making up for last Sunday when we didn't have um, a studio to, to record in. And then, The long awaited part two of everybody's favorite series, the history of modern preparedness is going to be on Thursday night. We're going to be talking about the 1960s, the hippies and the retreaters. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Friday will be episode five of the last of us and Saturday. I'm going to be talking about a bunch of the prepping situations that my wife and I and us as a family have dealt with in the last 18 months. I realize there's quite a bit we've done quite a bit that I fucked up some mistakes I've made, and some pretty cool lessons we've learned. So I'm going to talk about that. Kind of came out of when I, w- I did the episode here a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, about the Buffalo blizzard. I've got a huge list of natural disasters that I'm going to do maybe monthly an episode on. So that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. But just wanted to give you a piece of what's coming up this week. And if anything else pops up, you know, the Telegram group is the way to go for that. And if you guys are still hanging around here, I'm going to throw the Telegram group link in the description tonight because it's always, I don't do that often enough and it uh, it really is the place. And if people say, well, Tim, I don't want to be part of another social media, I get it. I do. But the Telegram group is cool because you can just come and go. You don't have to post. You can just read the text or the, the uh, interaction as you want. But yeah, so there's the Telegram link. It'll be in the live, uh, the replay of the live video chat if you end up watching this afterwards. And if you're listening to this while you're getting shit done, like we should, <laughs> uh, know your Joe says, What is Telegram? Uh, just hang on. Telegram, um, I might be able to show you here. Just give me a second. Present, extra camera, share screen, window, Telegram this is Telegram right here, guys. This is our place. I should have done this before, but this is the place we all hang out. This is the uh, the workshop chat room. This is where we post inappropriate memes and, and share what we're doing as a community. It's just an app. It's, it's an encrypted, uh, fairly censorship-free platform where we can all talk. Uh, so we have the Toolman Tim's workshop chat. This is where we all hang out. And then the cool kids hang out in This one right here, which is the uh, Workshop Book Club, and this is where we kind of get together and discuss ahead of time the book that we're going to talk about this month in the Telegram group, and nobody knows about this one yet, but I'm going to let you let the cat out of the bag. This is the Toolman Tim's Workshop Wasteland. I just launched a YouTube channel for this, and this is the Telegram group that literally nobody belongs to except me and Becky yet. This is where, this is going to be centered around pop culture, wasteland as in, you know, most of what I talk about is post-apocalyptic or shit hits the fan. So this is going to be the place that we can talk about movies and books and video games and comic books and whatever else. So there's that as well. So this, this is it. And uh, I I did unveil the new logo the other day. Uh, It's going to take a while to get the YouTube channel up and going. I will share this link around social uh, pretty soon. I just wanted to show you guys that we have that. So that, that is Telegram. It's great. You know, we can um, also people. You can watch the live video in there if you want to and chat as you go. Uh, somebody just put. Some people feel the personal choice of others are selfish and need to be regulated. What's really selfish is expecting others to surrender their liberties so you can enjoy a false sense of security. Couldn't have said it better myself, Jim from the office. So yeah, that's that's kind of how this goes. It's um, just an ongoing message board or a, kind of a scrolling chat, and if, if, you know if you. We're not big enough. We got 176 members. That, um, if you don't come in for a week, you're not going to be. How do you want to put it? Uh, You're not going to miss 10,000 messages like some of the bigger groups are, right? So it's cool. Um, And Byron, I will send you links in. uh, I'll share the links in the Telegram, the main Telegram group tonight, so that we can uh, get that figured out for everybody. So I will share those links. Um, And what? Oh what else did we have? Yeah. So we got that. Um, Yeah. I think that was all. I know there was one more new episode or one more new podcast I wanted to share with you guys, but I didn't add it to my notes, which means my brain won't quite let me remember what it was I wanted to. Oh yeah, that's it. So Sunday, February 19th, we're going to have the second edition of the work of workshop radio. Now, I've talked about it a little bit, but since I'm still here, I might as well finish telling you about it. It was such a big hit at Christmas or at on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day that we decided to do it again. Now it's not going to be a 24-hour marathon like last time. We'll do that again next year at uh you know New Year's Eve 2023. And um this time it's gonna be a four-hour. Uh, like a four hour afternoon evening thing. It's going to start at three o'clock mountain time, run to seven o'clock mountain time. So that's going to take the place of my Sunday evening show that night. And um, if you are a content creator, if you were involved last time, or if you weren't and you want to, get me a 15 minute audio clip, something to do with, you know, practical preparedness, homesteading, that sort of thing. You can repurpose something from your content or you can, you know, re-record or record a new some you know a new snippet for me if you'd like either way now we are, we only have room for 12 segments this time because we're doing 4 hours and what we're going to do I'm quite excited about this is we're going to run uh, 3 15-minute segments per hour and then in between each segment Nicole Sauce and I are going to do live stream uh, introductions and summaries of what we heard so it's going to be like you know your typical talk radio and it won't all be the the segments will be pre-recorded but we'll have live filler in between each episode or each segment and then I'm going to also release it in the podcast feed maybe as two parts just so people don't get hit with a 4 hour window I don't know maybe people want that so they can just turn it on and play but what I want this to be is the soundtrack of getting shit done I want this turned on while you're working in the garage on Sunday afternoon or while you're, you know, cleaning out the chicken coop or, you know, strategizing about your latest entrepreneurial venture. That's what I want the workshop radio to be. I don't want it necessarily to be something that people have to be glued to and interacting with. You can, if you want, but what I really want is it to be shit that inspires you while you get shit done. So I hope that works. I love the talk radio format. We're going to do more of the live phone-in segments, probably once a month. We're going to add it to the community feedback episode that I typically do. And we're going to to turn this into the workshop radio, which is just going to be a fancy name or an old-fashioned name for the workshop podcast. Now, whatever. I love it. I I really enjoy it. I love the live streaming and I love the audio-only live streaming that uh, we've been doing a little bit of. So with that, guys, again, if you want to Message me on Telegram or therealtimcook at gmail.com and get me a segment ASAP. I have six here already. Nicole has a bunch of people lined up, including some pretty cool names that are going to hopefully get you really interested in this and some content that uh, might be a little different than last time. So I'm excited about that. But again, if you get one into me and we've already got 12, I'll just bump it over to the next one and we're going to do it every couple of months. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And with that, I think I'm going to go upstairs and play a little PlayStation this evening. I'm going to play my Mr. Prepper game uh, because the missus is gone and I got nothing else to do for about an hour before I go to bed. And tomorrow morning, I got to get up at 830 and have, uh, we're, we're doing a first aid training for the daycare. So it's time for me to refresh on my first aid skills. I have lots of incredible first aid guests in here and I enjoy learning from them, but there's nothing quite like hands-on experience and refreshing that way. So guys, with that, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.